Hello, everyone, and welcome to Journey to Success Radio, a show featuring people and companies who are making a positive contribution to the world. This show will help you learn how to apply success principles in every area of your life so that you can make the most out of your skills and talents and accomplish more of your goals. To find out more about the show, please visit www.journeytosuccessradio.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Journey to Success Radio. My name is Tom Tutal Cunningham. I'm a Napoleon Hill Foundation certified instructor, and I'm the creator of the Journeys to Success Napoleon Hill inspired success stories book series. Uh, you can find out more about the radio show at our uh, website, journeytosuccessradio.com. You hear my live studio audience in the background here. Uh, today we're uh, promoting and talking to someone who's a co-author in the Millennials version of Journeys to Success coming out soon. My co-host, the man who put it all together, made it pretty easy for me, Brad Zollis. Introduce yourself, Brad. Tell us a little bit about the book and the authors and, uh, and our uh, guest today. Thank you. Thank you, Tom. This is Brad Zollis. Uh, for those of you who don't know, I wrote the book Liquid Leadership, which is based on this new generation and technology changing our world. And uh, when Tom approached me, uh, and I thank you, Tom, uh, he was doing this Journeys to Success series, which is based on the Napoleon Hill principles. And he said, hey, why don't you uh, gather some millennials on this? And uh, I have been, I, I, you've read some of the uh, the chapters already. You're editing, Tom. You, you've been pretty impressed. Am I right with uh, this? Right. Uh, I love the stories. And the writing is a little bit different. The writing is even like a millennial writing. So yeah. I've had to uh, uh, unstiffen my neck and, uh, you know, not make every correction that I feel uh, a teacher from 40 years ago would have made. Uh, but the stories themselves are, like, fascinating, and they often remind me of when I were their, their age. And so I'm enjoying reading them uh, and uh, editing them. Good. Excellent. Well, one of the uh, young men in our book, the, the Journeys to Success Millennial Edition, I was very impressed with him. I met him over three years ago. And uh, let me read his bio. David Benzikin is the founder and CEO of Plant-Based Solutions, an award-winning, mission-driven, strategic brand management and marketing agency for plant-based consumer products businesses. Plant-Based Solutions helps companies launch and grow their businesses through marketing, branding, fundraising, and more. David is also a sought-after natural products industry expert and has spoken about the growing plant-based economy at academic and industry conferences throughout the world. He serves as a mentor and advisor to multiple food incubators, accelerators, and venture capital firms, and is a contributing writer with several prominent natural industry trade publications. Prior to launching Plant-Based Solutions, David managed fundraising and advocacy efforts for various progressive electoral campaigns and nonprofit organizations in the animal protection, public health, and environmental arenas. David received his master's degree in management from the New York School and his bachelor's degree in political science from the American University. Learn more about David and Plant-Based Solutions at www.plantbasedsolutions.com. 
Please welcome to the show, good friend and somebody I consider a kick-ass mentor uh, to me as well, and an entrepreneur, David Benzikin. Thank you so much for having me. You're welcome. I know that was a long intro, but uh, I have to tell you, David, I have been so impressed with the work you're doing, and it is blowing everyone's mind that you're a millennial, and you're running this business, and you're taking it to another level. Thank you very much. I'm proud to be involved in such a worthy movement. Amazing. Take it off, Tom. You got yeah, questions? Yeah. yeah, yeah, because this is something my wife and I are interested in and getting more uh, knowledgeable about so that we can take better actions. And so uh, people think they know what a plant-based solution is, but they probably have a probably a narrow view of it. What does plant-based solutions actually do? So at our core, I tell people that our mission is to replace pork, pesticides, and plastics. We really aim to celebrate the power of plants in all their natural, delicious, and beautiful glory to solve all these problems. And so in our work, we work with companies making consumer products, things you would use every day, like food or beverages or cosmetics or supplements or personal care items, and branding and marketing them so that they're appealing. We all know that we want to make healthy, positive, sustainable choices in our lives. Our mission is to make these fantastic products convenient, accessible, affordable, delicious, and beautiful so that you don't have to sacrifice when you make good choices with your wallet and with your forks. Nice. And that's the thing my wife and I talk about as well. Do we have to sacrifice good tasting uh, and money and price to be uh, healthier? And so uh, that's a good answer to that one. Well, I know back in in the day, uh, you know, Tom and I are boomers. And I remember when the the vegetarian movement started, not just (laughs) veganism, but when vegetarian movement started, and then you went into a restaurant and you ordered uh, or asked for something vegetarian, they'd look at you and go, well, here's a salad. And it usually was just lettuce, not even tomatoes and onions in it. It was just, well, here you go, buddy. Uh, and it's amazing how things have changed. Um, David, I know you've told this story before, but how did you get started in this? So I've been passionate about social change for my whole life. Uh, I was very fortunate to grow up in a family that helped me understand that there were so many people and others living with less privilege than I, and that it was really our responsibility to do something about making the world a more equitable, equitable and fair place. And As I came to examine a lot of different social change issues that I cared about, the one that always stuck out to me was that of the treatment of animals. Uh, Animals are voiceless in the way that we don't understand their language, even if they have many. And by uh, by choosing to engage with them in the way that we believe they're here for us, we are really deciding their fates for them. And I just didn't think this was right. So I, I looked at all the ways in which we interact with animals in a loving and kind way, and then in a less uh, way. And I realized that of all of the ways we interact with animals, none is more significant than what we eat. Every single year, 10 billion land animals and many more billions in uh, sea animals are killed for food just in the United States alone. It's estimated that over 50 billion animals globally are killed for food every year. And That's just for food. When you compare all of the wildlife animals in the world, all of the domesticated animals that we keep as pets, or all the other industries combined, 
or, or just naturally living animals out there in wildlife, those numbers do not add up to anywhere near the number that we breed and kill just for food. And I just realized this isn't necessary. We can have delicious, affordable, convenient food that celebrates all of our traditions and our favorite things without causing others to suffer. Wow. Can I hug you? That's what I'm looking for. <laughs> Can you come to my house like later on? <laughs> All right, I got to take a closer look at this website here because this is exactly what we're looking for. Uh, neat. Tom, you're you're Canadian and recently I I just saw this. Uh they just I hear your doggies in the background. Um they just said in Canada they've legally said that animals uh, are sentient beings. Am, am I correct on that? Wow. See, I didn't know that. And second, I'm going to have to look up sentient. sentient. <laughs> <laughs> well, it David, sounds like something Canada would do. There you go. Well, David, as I get older, I mean, you've educated me a lot. I've been to your office, and uh, I have to tell you, as I get older, uh, I'm learning not to eat as much meat. And it isn't just for health reasons. It's just for a lot of what you said, uh, we eat something in the United States to the tune of a million animals an hour. That's not a million pounds, a million animals an hour. And we've been taught that, you know, protein is the only way to go, and you've got to have steak, and you've got to have meat, and you've got to have all these things. And at the end of the day, we start to realize that the FDA, and I'm not saying they're the evil empire, but I am saying that we've gotten out of hand when it comes to sort of this plutocracy of, of corporate control telling us what to eat. And we're starting to see in our own health here in the United States um, things that don't exist in other countries. And it does boil down to our diet. Am I correct on that? Absolutely. I think what I love about this movement, and this goes back to why I got involved in it, is that in all the social issues that we might care about, whether it's peace in the world or protecting the environment or everything else, I can't think of many issues where a personal change that we can make through empowerment and celebration of ourselves and our health and all these things can result in so much good. Every single time we sit down to eat, we have the power to vote with our forks to protect our own bodies from diet-related disease like cancer, diabetes, and heart disease, to protect animals, and to protect the environment from all of the water pollution, climate change impacts, and everything else that are caused by animal agriculture. I can't stop the death penalty by just writing a letter. I can try and I will, but it's not necessarily going to result in that. But I personally, and every single one out there, has the power to make a massive impact for yourself and others with the simple decision of what you eat for lunch tomorrow. And that's what I love about it is that it's not about, you know, I'm not here telling folks that if they don't do this every single moment that they are bad. And I think that approach would be mistaken and would be uh, in poor judgment and poor taste because the animals would not be served by that. What I'm saying is that we have the power to make positive changes on a spectrum in a direction of doing good for so many different uh, parties from animals, to the environment, to our health. And moving in that direction is a good step. Just like buying a, a, a non-sweatshop shirt today is a good thing, even if tomorrow I go to the Gap. It doesn't mean that it's not better to still do that good thing today. And I encourage everybody to think about how they can make small choices and changes in their lives that can impact everybody for the better. Wow. And uh, you're telling me something uh, that I learned too. My friend Derek Sweet, he's a 
founder of the Certified Coaches Federation in Toronto, and he promotes, what, uh, saving lives with forks and knives. So he challenged me to make one meal a day vegan. So yeah. I usually, usually in the morning I had a I had a smoothie that I had milk in, so I just switched it to coconut milk. Coconut milk, a banana, and I switched to hemp protein from whey protein and uh, peanut butter. I just got a real good source of peanut butter. And so just by changing two ingredients, now right away, one third of my meals all of a sudden became vegan. And so you're right. You don't have to be like, you better not ever eat anything again, because then people are, you're going to turn them away. But if you can make, or when you make the right choices, you're further ahead. But if you don't, it doesn't mean that you're evil or <laughs> Absolutely. Well, it's hard for me because um, I come from a place called Pennsylvania, a magical <laughs> land where <laughs> bacon is like a fifth food group. Right. Uh, and so uh, I personally have just started to see health reasons. And as I get older, there are some cultures, like my wife is from Haiti, and they believe that when you get to a certain age, you should stop eating meat because meat is uh, causes diseases and mucus buildup and cancer and things like this as you get older because your body becomes more acidic and it's hard to digest. And for me, I'm not doing it for that reason. I'm just, I'm cutting back because simply it's, um, I can feel my body change when I eat better foods and things that are better for me. I've switched to like almond milk and I have to be very careful. We all have to be very careful what we put in our mouths because uh, they call something almond milk, and then you find out years later they put something else in it. Um, so it's just a matter of, of making better, better choices. And by the way, David, I, I've always admired what you've done, and the, part of the result of you going vegan, you lost 30 pounds, am I correct? I did. So I went vegan when I was 18 years old, and I did so because I was actually approached with the fact that I could have such a great impact on the world through my own choices and as a result, without even expecting it, uh, I lost 30 pounds. My cholesterol level dropped significantly by over 150 points, in fact. And uh, I had nearly chronic bronchitis as a child. I went through croup and whooping, whooping cough as an infant and then through bronchitis through all of my adolescence. And when I went vegan, I actually eliminated that overnight and haven't had it since. And I did not anticipate those changes, but they were wonderful. Wow, I hope that doesn't happen to me. That's 25% of my body weight. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just be shoes and socks after that. <laughs> uh, so, David, uh, you, the reason we're talking to you is because you're going to write a chapter in this Millennials Journeys to Success uh, volume. And, uh, uh, you know, I, I say it often. Uh, when I first met Brad, I was starting to become like a crotchety old man, like old people become because I was like these young people are crazy I think they're lazy I don't know what the heck they're doing uh, but now I understand them better and so talk about what's unique about millennial entrepreneurs not only for myself to learn but also for other millennials uh, who are looking to be entrepreneurs and and uh, willing or wanting to tell their parents they're not going on the 40 hour a week career path Sure. So I think a lot of things are different about millennials, but I do want to make one point and distinction about that, which is that the millennial generation, depending on how you look at it, usually encompasses people born roughly between the ages of 1980 and 2000. And so 
at the youngest end of that, you have people who are 16 years old. And on the other end, you have people who are in their mid thirties. And the, the difference in life stage that that encompasses has a, has a big impact on how people perceive millennials. I hear a lot of people negatively attribute, attribute millennials to be vain and um, self-absorbed and all these things, you know, the selfie generation and all this and that. And I want to highlight that if we all look back to where we were at 16 years old, <laughs> that to, to right. suggest that this entire generation is obsessed with themselves just because they're millennials as opposed to being 16 and going through hormones and life changes is absurd. And right. that, that's a really you know, unfortunate diagnosis of who we are as people. Um, yeah. But there are several trends that are real among the millennial generation. Certainly, Brad has studied them at length. Um, one thing I think is of note, you know, we did grow up in a time of prosperity. Many, many of us grew up in the 90s when the markets were very good and when the unemployment was low and economies were good. And we grew up, um, we, you know, our parents were born from a generation that had gone through the Great Depression. And so they had reacted to that by wanting us not to struggle like their parents had made them struggle. And so for many of us, we were taught that we could do whatever we wanted. We were taught that we should achieve and push and strive to be the best we can be. And some people criticize this, but I think it's a beautiful thing that we are encouraged and supported. Can it get to an extreme? Yes. But it also means that we are more willing to take risks because we feel more safe in this society, which I think is a positive thing, that we are more curious about solving problems that others wouldn't feel confident in themselves to do. And that's great. So what you're seeing is a huge number of millennials who are going into entrepreneurial endeavors and who are exploring new solutions to the world's greatest problems. And I think that is very important. We're also seeing, you know, there could be a fear that if everybody goes into entrepreneurial endeavors and leadership because they think they can be the best at what they want to do, that there will be a vacuum in the everyday jobs that we need to support our society. But in reality, if we're, if we're finding solutions to make those jobs more automated or easier to achieve without people working jobs they don't love to do, we may not need as many of those unhappy jobs. I found this with, um, I agree with everything you just said, David. And I found for myself, my father was raised during the Great Depression. Uh, therefore, I was raised during the Great Depression. Uh, <laughs> as a baby boomer, my father, I, I actually started my first business at 16 because my father made it so hard to ask for a $20 bill. Uh, but the, the huge difference is, boomers, we were taught to obey a lot of rules and hierarchy. And when we hit 25, nobody was listening to us. And we kind of compromised as we got older. Not a lot of boomers were part of the hippie movement. That's what a lot of people don't realize. Um, and along comes this generation of millennials, and I see you guys breaking trends, destroying the old fabric that uh, doesn't serve us anymore because it came out of the Industrial Revolution, and it was based on war and military. Now you're creating new paradigms and new realities that we don't even know what a college degree is going to, uh, you know, serve up in the next ten years for uh, a business sector that doesn't exist today. Uh, and case in point, you, David, uh, I know you have stats on this, but veganism itself, which is a branch of being a vegetarian, that includes you don't use cheese or eat anything that has a face. Uh, <laughs> 
And and it basically it boils down to this is even harder than just being a vegetarian. This is a whole other level. And guess what? Those of you who are listening right now, this is the fastest growing business sector right now because this is what millennials demand: better food that uh, is environmentally uh, safe and and respectful of animals and and is more plant based. Uh, am I correct, David, on that? Because you you know all the trends that's going on. Actually, just today, there was an analysis put out that said that, uh, and I can share a link if Tom wants to put it in the notes later, um, the plant-based foods industry, which I'm very involved in, is contributing $17.3 billion a year to the U.S. economy right now. And I can guarantee that is many multiples of what it was just five years ago. We've had our first company in the space reach unicorn status, meaning a valuation of over a billion dollars this year. We have new startups every day raising tens or hundreds of millions of dollars to advance these incredible solutions. That's the part of the industry that I'm most excited about. I'm very involved in that. And it's because consumers are overwhelmingly asking for transparency and um, social good while they also protect their desire for convenience, taste, and price, which we always need to be sure is at the top of our list. Right. I, I, I am interested in eating better and healthier for the planet, but convenience. If you can make it available more readily than having to go to some fine shop on the edge of town, you know, knock on the door, can I come in? But I think like Brad had mentioned earlier, like when I was young, being a vegetarian was like, oh my God, like, is this guy a weirdo or what? Well, you couldn't find anything. Right, you couldn't, you find, couldn't anything. find anything. I mean, uh, go rent the movie Scotland, PA, or download it or stream it. Uh, it has uh, Christopher Walken in it. That's why I like it. Oh, but it's, it's based on uh, Macbeth. And you'll like this, uh, David. Uh, it's, it's the murder mystery of Macbeth and him coming to power. And Christopher Walken plays uh, the uh, detective that's doing the research. And the whole thing takes place at this fast food joint that has a drive through and Walken shows up with a dish of baba ganoush. Now, this <laughs> takes place in the 70s, okay? It's a period piece, and everybody looks at him like, what the hell is baba ganoush? You know, because it's the first time anybody's heard of it. And he's, he just looks and he goes, yeah, my, my wife made it. It's uh, made from chickpeas, you know, like that. And it's, everybody's astounded, but I want you to understand, those of you who are listening, what it takes to now shift to where we are today. This has been a, an amazing journey for you, David, uh, and, and I really admire what you're doing. Can you can you talk a little bit more about the trends that are taking place? Because this, uh, this gets me excited. What's happening now today that's shifting? Sure. So to your earlier point about baby boomers coming to this way of eating later in life, we're finding that trend absolutely to be true. In fact, the fastest growing of people who are meeting, moving towards a more plant-based diet, uh, the fastest growing population is among baby boomers. The number one reason is for fear of or attempt to mitigate risks of heart disease. Um, and uh, many people question you know, whether this diet or this way of eating is healthy or safe. And actually, the American Academy of uh, Nutrition and Dietetics, which used to be called the uh, ADA, the American Dietetic Association, Association, they say that it is healthy for all stages of life, for pregnancy, lactation, childhood, infancy, and even for athletes. 
and that actually it has been shown in meta-analyses of studies that it leads or that is associated with a lower risk of heart disease, diabetes, and certain kinds of cancer. So um, there is good reason for people to look at that from a health perspective. Um, overall, the other things we're seeing is we are seeing growth in people who identify along the spectrum from vegan and vegetarian to what we call flexitarian. Um, a flexitarian is somebody who eats mostly vegetarian. They might eat meat occasionally, but they really like their veg vegetarian foods or they really prefer to eat that way for health reasons or whatever it may be. And Mintel, which is a huge market research company, kind of like Nielsen, they did a couple studies. And in 2006, they found that 6% of the population ate mostly vegetarian. And in 2013, they found that 16.7% of the population in the US ate more than half their meals vegetarian. So movements like Meatless Mondays and others that are educating people about the tremendous health and environmental impacts you can have with just one meal a day or a week or anything like that are really helping people to see what impact they can have and the community is responding. As a result, we're seeing so much more consumer demand for these products that we have so much innovation and finance and business booming in this sector to meet that demand. And that's what I'm seeing is since I started this business, we've just seen unbelievable new products and hundreds of millions of dollars invested in the space to help spur the future of food. And everybody from Bill Gates to the founders of Twitter and Salesforce and Yahoo, I can't think of a single tech company whose founder has not invested tens of millions of dollars into a plant-based food company in the last few years. It's unbelievable. Wow. And, and you're amazing. speaking to me too, because uh, now two thirds of my meals are vegan or vegetarian. I work from home so I can ensure that. And uh, I'm doing it for the health reasons. And there's so many cool things like, here's a plug, Rice Dream Ice Cream. If you think you can't have ice cream, try Rice Dream Ice Cream. And it's <laughs> like, oh my God, is this not really ice cream? And Are so they there's, our sponsor now? Right, right, they should be. But there's so many products like that. Now, uh, also, I like the thing about no guilt because I think I'm still going to eat chips. Uh, <laughs> but there's no meat in chips, hopefully. Hey, let, let me tell you something. Tom has a, a pair of six-pack abs, and right. he's fifty-four years old. So something he's doing, he's doing it right. So uh, right, and I work out regularly, and I am looking after what I eat. Now, the most important thing I wanted to talk to you about, David, I was looking over your question. It's like, oh man, I want this one to be the first question, but we haven't got to it yet. Effective altruism, I uh, altruism for. Uh, people who might not know is similar to philanthropy, giving, charity. But if I give money, I want it to be effective. And so tell me about this, uh, this uh, effective altruism uh, movement you've started. Sure. So I can't claim credit for having started it, uh, but I'm proud to you be an active participant. <laughs> <laughs> so um, as Tom noted, altruism is really the act of doing good or, or of the belief that um, one should do good for others or for the larger society. And that can be through financial means or others. Um, the effective altruism movement started a few years ago. It was founded by a gentleman named William McCaskill. And he is a professor at Oxford. And he was doing a Fulbright fellowship at Princeton. And he realized that the average Western person 
spends 80,000 hours on their careers. And that so many people, especially in the millennial generation, but many others as well, so many people would like to see those hours be spent on something that not only is lucrative, but is also meaningful, that enriches them in a deeper way than just financially. And so he started this nonprofit organization called 80,000 Hours. You can find them at 80,000hours.org, and it's all digits for the 80,000th part. And they coach people on how to choose careers to have the greatest impact on the world. So you identify with them what cause you are most passionate about, and you go through your skills and your interests in terms of what you like to do and the type of work environment you like, and they can help you determine what is the best way to dedicate your life. So in my career, yeah, I started at the age of 14 working in politics. And then by the age of 20, I had transitioned into the nonprofit space. And I, so between politics and nonprofits, I spend a, a good, you know, 12 or 13 years of my life working specifically in those fields because I realized or I believed that that was where I could have the greatest impact on social good because I had grown up in a time where the belief was still that business was about amassing money mm-hmm. and nonprofits and the, you know, government in theory were about protecting or benefiting the society. And with that in mind, I pursued that path for a very long time. And I think that the people who work in those fields are doing wonderful work. And on social change issues, many of the things that are happening in nonprofits to raise awareness of problems or to educate people about solutions is crucially important. But when I thought about the skills that I had amassed doing development or fundraising and advocacy in those organizations, I realized that there was a missing piece to the issue I cared most about. I knew that I wanted to influence what people ate, but just telling people about the problems with what they're eating is not motivating and it's not inspirational and it's not making it easier to make the switch or to make good choices. So when I think about why I do or don't make good choices in my life, why I may make a mistake and buy a piece of clothing that I'm not proud of owning because of the labor conditions it was made in or anything else, why, you know, in a rush, I might accidentally put a can into the garbage instead of recycling. You know, I realize that there's more than just knowing the problem. There's also having the solution be accessible. And we're not wrong for making those mistakes. We're human. And so fundraising and advocacy are very similar to marketing in many ways. I spent most of my career before I started this business marketing ideas. And today I'm marketing products. I'm letting folks know about the incredible stories of these founders and the benefits of these products, but also why they're just as good or better than what they already have in the way of taste, convenience, price, and accessibility. And so by celebrating these wonderful things and packaging them not in craft paper and you know hippy-dippy stuff, but making them look beautiful like they should because they're delicious and beautiful, by celebrating them and branding them and marketing them that way, we can make an impact. So for me, my act of effective altruism is not about going and spending my career in what might be a... Um, job where I'd be inefficient in the nonprofit world because everybody is going after those same jobs, but tackling this problem in a unique way by pursuing making these products more desirable so that when people educate somebody about why they should make the switch, I say, and here is this awesome solution that you don't have to sacrifice for. Nice. Wow. It's powerful. And, and David, I want to say something about you as an entrepreneur. 
uh, I remember going down to your office like two years ago and looking at you sampling products. Like you wouldn't just let a product, you would not represent a product that didn't adhere to your very strict standards. And you had to see this, Tom. Uh, somebody was showing uh, juices at the time, cold-pressed juices. And um, you were sampling everything, and your staff was sampling everything. But you made a big transition, am I right? Uh, uh, you want to talk about that? Because that really helped explode your business a little bit. In terms of the services we provide, yes. So when I started this business, I spent, before I started the business, I spent over a year mapping out the industry and learning everything I could about it. And I actually did 115 informational interviews with as many people in leadership in this industry as I could. The food industry, the natural products industry, marketing, branding, sales. I really tried to learn it from the ground up. And when I launched my business, because I didn't have, and this is something that many millennials will have to face because we pursue um, careers that some others might not think we're qualified for, um, I had to establish a foothold in this industry. And so I started in my business by providing services that people were not scared to take a risk on me with. And those were door-to-door sales for which we'd be paid on commission and also experiential or um, experiential marketing where our job was to do sampling or staffing events or other things of that nature. And it was a low risk to clients because the commission-based work, obviously, they would only pay on the, per- on the results of our work. And the other work, it was, it was not extremely expensive for them. For our work, it was very difficult because those two industries have very high costs to maintain a large staff of part-time people, very low margins. And uh, it's a hard way to build a business. But through diligence and hard work and tenacity of my whole team, we were able to prove that we knew what we were doing, that we were passionate, and we were going to advocate for our clients and do the best job we could. And so little by little, I was able to transition to doing strategic marketing and planning, uh, which is what we do now, really helping not, you know, I'm going to go to a store and hand out samples of your product, but I'm going to help you decide how you measure if that's actually effective for you and how you spend your money most effectively and how you plan which activities, whether it's advertising or public relations or in-store marketing or anything else you should use and in what combination to have the greatest success in the market. So we really look at businesses from that place now and we help them at a high level. Um, but I did have to pivot my business for my own success and for my ability to have impact because at my core, I've always been somebody who has looked at strategy, whether it was fundraising or trying to change policies or now in leading these businesses, we're looking at an end goal and how we get there. And in this case, it's how do we make this product, which is solving one of the three P's, pork, pesticides, or plastics, how do we make that product succeed in the greatest way in the market? Can you mention any of the brands you're working with? I mean, I, I know some of them, you have proprietary issues and uh, non-disclosures, but there, are there a couple that you can mention a little bit? Absolutely. Uh, actually, I have a company that I'm very proud to be working with that will be launching uh, in just, uh, just uh, two weeks. Actually, by the time you hear this podcast, it'll be about a week out. Um, and I can mention the name of it. I can't say where it will be launching. Um, the company name is Ocean Hugger Foods. And the product name is called Tomato Sushi. And this product was developed by a certified master chef uh, named Jimmy Corwell. He lives out in San Francisco. And he wa- he's one of only 60 certified master chefs in the world today, or just over 60. And that's the highest level of culinary honor that you get for 
years of training and tests in many different cuisines. And um, Jimmy was working in Japan and he visited this place called the Tsukiji Fish Market in Tokyo. And the Tsukiji Fish Market is the largest fish market in the world. And he saw thousands of tons, yes, thousands of tons of endangered bluefin tuna and other fishes spread across this quite dirty floor in this market. And he knew that bluefin were very endangered. He's not a vegetarian himself, though he's conscious about the environment and health and animals. And he realized that this carnage was just unacceptable for the future of our world. Bluefin tuna are amazing animals. And he couldn't accept that we were going to drive them to true extinction when they were once so abundant. And so he dedicated his time outside of his work to developing an incredibly sumptuous culinary feat, a tomato-based product which tastes and has the texture and the mouthfeel of raw bluefin tuna. And it's an unbelievable product. We're so proud to represent it. And uh, we will be launching it in restaurants and cafes uh, in two weeks. And we are very excited about that. And uh, people can go to our website or, to, uh, or follow Tomato Sushi and Ocean Hugger Foods online to find out when and where that will be happening. And if it's not in your city or town, I can tell you that we are expecting to roll out nationwide and globally very, very quickly. Uh, we've had tremendous support in the media and from investors and from others to get this spread as far and wide as possible. So you will be hearing about that very quickly. Uh, David, uh, before the show, I said, okay, we're going to mention your website regularly throughout the show. <laughs> so, uh, hmm. so let me just say it uh, three times. Plantbasedsolutions.com. 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 Marge Simpson told... Uh, Bart, that the reason she repeated something three times was that he would remember it. And <laughs> later on that day, when he was in trouble, he remembered whatever his mother told him. So plantbasedsolutions.com. Thank you very much. And I should mention, I'm actually right now on one of several speaking tours that I have planned for the year. I'm traveling across the country over the next six weeks, and then I'll be doing another one even more extensive in the spring. But if you go to that website, in our blog, you can find a post where I list many of the stops that I'll be making. And I would love to meet with anybody in those towns who is interested in what we're doing or would like to speak about it. Amazing. David, could I ask you one thing? Yes, please. How do your parents uh, react to you being a speaker and doing all this? I know my mom says, I've been hearing you speak all your life. And she said, I haven't heard anything worth paying for yet. <laughs> I don't think my parents are surprised that I'm finding occasion to use my voice. Uh, I've never been on the quiet side, but they've been incredibly supportive of the work I'm doing. It's, it's not something that they grew up with, and um, it's something that's very novel and unique and new to them. But that, I think, makes it even more exciting for them because they really see that I'm carving my own path. And that is certainly uh, a symbol of millennialism. <laughs> All right. And have they stopped asking you or showing you the, the one ads in the neighborhood? Uh... Nice good, uh, corporate job that you could go to. They have certainly come to accept that I am building an incredible career and business that not only does good, but also can, can uh, financially reward, which they're very filled with. 
<laughs> right. Even if they have their friends ask them, ask them what you're doing, they're like, he's doing something amazing, but I really don't know what it is. But it seems <laughs> like it's really cool and it seems like it's making a difference. But don't ask me to describe it. No, actually, they're some of my best advocates. Um, I think that they are, they are so attuned now to hearing other people speak about these issues. They're constantly referring me people. I've had business from random referrals from my family members and friends, and it's been great. Well, that's how we met. Yeah, uh, I met uh, David's mom at a business meeting, and she says, you got to meet my son. He's a millennial. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you got walking business cards out there, David. Yes. <laughs> Amazing. Absolutely. Well, thanks so much for your time today, David and Brad. And uh, wow, so interesting what you're doing. Uh, uh, I love the altruism part and uh, plant-based solutions. You're talking right at exactly the things Kim and I are trying to implement. We're doing it for health reasons. We want the convenience. We don't want to spend the fortune. We want it to taste good. Uh, but we don't want to feel guilty as well. So when I eat my chips tonight, I'm not going to be thinking of you giving me heck for not <laughs> eating according to the planet because uh, <laughs> we, we're not perfect. You've mentioned it a few times. Do Absolutely. our best. Do our best. When I went to one vegan meal a day, I was so impressed with myself. Now I'm up to two, sometimes three. And so uh, you can try it yeah. slowly and you can make mistakes one day at a time and not hit yourself over the head like, oh, my God, I'm going to get a heart attack tomorrow. I ate that hamburger today. I, I didn't eat any meat today. I had a, a wonderful salad, a Greek salad, and uh, I had some uh, soup that had mm -hmm. no meat in it. Uh, I'm feeling good. All right. And, uh, <laughs> for, lunch, for lunch, I had the, as mentioned, ice cream, rice cream with uh, peanut butter in a smoothie. So it was like a peanut butter milkshake. It was like, oh, <laughs> amazing. Tom, are you in, are you in Toronto? I'm in Toronto. So you may also want to check. There's actually a, a startup, but a fantastic brand there called Pleasantville Creamery, which is doing some extraordinary ice cream. A friend of mine is starting that business, and she's got some really incredible products. They're local to you, and uh, I think you should check it out. You'd enjoy their ice cream. Amazing. And I think you should tell them about this show, and I should interview them. I will do that. Very good. Thank you, Thank you so much. Have Thank yourself you a great so day, guys. This was a lot of fun. I learned a lot. Thank, Thank you, you so much for having me. Take care. Thank you for listening to this episode of Journey to Success Radio. If you or anyone you know would like to be interviewed for the show, email tom at tomtootall.com for details.